Today's episode of the Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you're someone who gets colds or sick a lot, then something I've started doing for that daily is taking Pillar's Ultra Immune C. I just hate being sick, particularly when it's interrupting my training and social life. Ultra Immune C contains high dosage vitamin C, vitamin D3, and zinc. Basically, the three key things it does is support immune system health, enhance immune system function, and act as an antioxidant. Damo, the owner of Pillar, was actually the person who suggested I started taking it, uh, and I'm yet to be sick since I have started that. I think, personally, using Pillar's triple magnesium at night, so my sleep is great, because I'm a terrible sleeper historically, combined with Ultra Immune C is the key. Remember, if you want to grab yourself some Pillar to use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off your order, uh, and you can find it at the Pillar website in Australia and Europe, and exclusively through the feed in the USA. It's a massive day today on the triathlon hour because we've got, in my opinion, the very best triathlete on the planet as it stands right now. And probably the most, or if not the most, definitely the second most frequently requested guest uh, that I get for the show, maybe alongside Lionel Sanders, Christian Blumenfeld. Christian, how are you feeling coming off the uh, PTO European Open last weekend? Oh, yeah, it's good to be on the show. Uh, but yeah, it feels... Uh... So so after Abita, it was okay race. Uh, obviously, would have loved to win. Uh, I would taken the w- uh, win, but uh, yeah. So now I made it over to Japan and Yokohama and having another race tomorrow. So uh, at least like excited to start the season. And uh, yeah, it, it's a good way to start on and then build on from uh, the race I had uh, last week. I'm keen to get into Yokohama, but but I reckon we start with the PTO European Open because I have been wanting to hear um, your take on the race. I, I heard your post-race interview, and to me, you seemed a bit disappointed, but then you were sort of like, oh, well, first race of the season, it's not that big a deal. So what I was thinking we could do, and, and something I love doing, is I was wondering if you could take us through your race, like give us a race report. So from sort of just before the swim start all the way to when you cross the line, could we sort of step-by-step step get you to take us through how you saw the race? Yeah, so I think, uh, uh, of course, the way the other athletes was racing, like with uh, Aaron and Alistair and Jan up front trying to push the pace on the swim, that was sort of expected. And, uh, of course, I would have preferred to have a better swim to get a stay in that group uh, from, um, yeah, lap one. But I just started the swim and had like a week, couple of first two, three hundred and uh, ended up uh, behind. But I still felt like the pace on the second lap was sort of okay compared to how it was in Edmonton. So we didn't lose too much time. Like we lost like a 30 second first lap and another 30 seconds on the second lap. So um, yeah, it was an okay swim, but still came out of the water with Magnus Ditlev, who I would have preferred to have a gap to before the bike. Uh, going on to the bike, uh, tried to just go steady pace the first few Ks and uh, sort of establishing an understanding of how hard the 
guys up front was pushing it. So yeah, going out at like 370 for the first 10K. And so then that we lost like 15 or 20 seconds compared to T1. Um, but was then thinking that, yeah, that was sort of okay because I was expecting that top guys or the, the guys up front to really be drilling it the first 20K to sort of try to establish a gap while I was more holding a little bit back, waiting a little bit for Magnus and also waiting for that second half of the bike um, to go more steady pace throughout the bike leg. Luckily, Magnus came along after 15K, put it in like a 25K of uh, surge that caught us up to the front guys after halfway through on the bike. And then it sort of split it up quite early again when we just caught up. So it was like a separation there. And it's tricky to either pass like 10 guys. Certainly if you have to pass 10 guys to get in a better position. So I was uh, there with, uh, I had like Jan two spots ahead, Magnus in front. And um, when separation happened with the front three or four guys, then I thought that Jan would pull the back the group back together. And he struggled to do it. And then suddenly Magnus jumped across. And I thought that they would still come together most likely. And also I didn't want to bleed too much off my run legs. So I was like maybe going for the wrong decision there to play it safe rather than going for going for it on the bike the last 40k because also the the pace dropped quite quite a lot the last 20k so then uh came off the bike a minute off the pace or behind the front guys thought that it would be okay to catch a lot of the guys up front uh but then coming into the circle loop and so that alistair have opened up another 30 seconds then um i thought that okay he's back in form and i just have to pick up the guys was behind him but then yeah I thought maybe after two or three laps downtown that Max was like the guy who was running more steady and uh, I didn't really catch in anything on him and uh, yeah the rest of the guys sort of blew up. At any point in that sort of final maybe 10k 8 to 10k did you think yeah I'm definitely going to catch Max here or did you get an inkling a little bit earlier that that maybe you weren't going to catch him? I was hoping like I was uh Trying to pace well, and I think like the uh, both me and Max was running quite even throughout the whole uh, 18k. Uh, but also, I just felt like I didn't have like an extra gear to ramp up the speed. So, like I tried with 5k to go to yeah, just lap my watch and just go for a fast 5k just to bring him, bring him in because I think I was like 45 or 50 seconds behind. Uh, and I just tried to lift it up, but uh, yeah, didn't have that extra gear. And then you see when you're 50 seconds behind after or with 5K to go and you're uh, 40 seconds with 3K to go, you sort of do the math yourself and you can see that uh, uh, if it just keeps going like this, then it's not going to be enough to catch before the finish line. So at Kona last year, 
obviously the big battle was like you and Gustav and, and Sam laid though up in front. But for the start of that run, Max was the guy who could go with you and Christian. And, you know, there was a little period there where you were, you were trying to fight for, or you were both trying to fight for Gustav's feet. And you basically pushed Max out of the way and said, no, nah, Gustav's feet are mine today. Uh, <laughs> and, and Max said, all right. <laughs> and then, um, but the, the, the funny thing that the, in corner, I, the whole bike, like I didn't really know who that guy in red BMC suit were. Uh, <laughs> so, so on the way back from Harvey, me and Gustav was uh, like sharing the work. And I thought that, okay, uh, the guy in red will probably just fade off on the run. So we don't have to care about him. But then I see that he's uh, flying by <laughs> out of uh, T2 and like looking quite fresh. And I see that the name on the bib, like Max, and oh, that's Max Newman. And then Mikhail is like screaming that he's been running quite fast uh, before in like a half. And uh, I still felt like, yeah, I- I'm just going to focus on Gustav, stay behind him, because I was also struggling quite badly from the beginning, I would say. Like, uh, it wasn't that fresh running stride. Uh, um, already from the first few K. So I think Max was like taking maybe 20 or maybe even 30 seconds on both me and Gustav the last, no, the first two K in Kona. So he had a, he was like flying there. And also the way he was running the back end of the marathon uh, on the way back from the energy lab while Gustav dropped me. And I thought, that okay, I'm struggling just to finish this marathon. I have to slow down, maybe run like four minute pace back home again. Then suddenly he was like, catching on and being like I don't know, 45 seconds behind with 8 or 10k to go so I really had to uh, dig deep to sort of respond to his taste uh, back then so I knew that he was having that endurance that he could finish off the the marathon quite strong and if you can do it for a marathon you can definitely do it for 18k as well well you've sort of taken me into exactly what I was going to ask is that a lot of people going into the PTO European Open, we're not even talking about Max Newman. In fact, I don't know if there was a single person who picked Max to win. I think he sort of almost forgot, got forgotten about. Like I think a lot of people thought he wasn't even racing type thing. And the, the interesting thing is that with sort of 8 to 10K to go in the PTO European Open, he was about 45 seconds ahead of you. And like if you flip that at Kona with about 8 to 10K to go, you were 45 seconds ahead of him. So my question is, um, despite the fact that not many people were talking about him, you'd obviously been locked in a battle with him at Kona. Did you think about him in the lead up to the PTO European Open? And did you think he was a threat to win? Not really. I thought that uh, he would maybe have a more like a marathon stride uh, than running that 310, 3.15 pace. Uh, so I would expect him to run a little bit slower but I would also expect myself to run a little bit faster. Uh, so I didn't really believe that he would take it like he did uh, and also like defend the lead on the run the way he did. Uh, I thought that Magnus could maybe do something damage on the bike and put himself in a good position. I thought that Alistair could break away somehow uh, to take the win if he were pacing more clever, uh, more smart like in the first half of the run. And I did believe that Jan would struggle with the top end speed. So I thought that like Alistair was the main guy and maybe Magnus. 
that's really interesting because for, for the longest time now, people have been waiting for a, a showdown between yourself and Jan. I think even more so than, than, than Alistair or Magnus or Sam Laidlow or Max Newman, people have really wanted to see you versus Jan, who most people look at Jan as the greatest of all time. And I think most people look at you as the guy who's going to take over that mantle, if not in a lot of people's eyes already have taken over that mantle. So the performance of Jan Fredino on the weekend, it didn't surprise you? I think he had a good one. Like, uh, I think he's more suited for the full distance, like the arm and the corner. And uh, that will maybe be a more fair battle between us. Like, if if he's getting that uh, corner race in the heat more than 100k, more punchy, because I think the 100k distance should suit uh, me better. And also, Alistair and guys like Max. So with the age, I think he would have preferred the full distance. Okay, so now this leads us into a really interesting question. The the PTO US Open, that's on August 5th. And then we've got the Olympic test event in Paris, which is on August 18th. And then we've got the PTO Asian Open two days after that on August 20th. Then we've got the 70.3 World Championships a week after that on August 27th. And then a couple of weeks after that, we have the Ironman World Championships in Nice on September 10th. You've just brought up that Jan is more suited to the Ironman distance. And I think we all can probably read between the lines that the Ironman World Championships this year will be Jan's final race. Like I think a lot of people are expecting him to retire after that race. Will we be seeing you at the Ironman World Championships? Is there any possibility that even given how like the Olympic test event is clearly the the one you're focusing on in mid-August is there a chance we see you just so that you can go and race yarn and the others I did I did play with it I thought actually like a couple of months ago but uh, it's too much hassle to get ready for that race like in terms of finding like working with the bike for that hill like uh, I think it would require like maybe two months at least just in the course and uh, doing the descending and uh, optimizing the bike for that course that I don't <laughs> and also combining that with the focus on the short course uh, and working on the bike position on the road bike is really a hassle so if, if it was like a straightforward course like in Kona it would be easier to just do like three four weeks of preparation to get fit for it but I think the fact that the Denise course is so special, uh, I think I would have to wait until 25 to do it. And then I can do like a proper build up to it. And so, like I said, the the test event, the Olympic test event in on August 18th, 18th is clearly your like a race for the year. At least that's how I read what you're saying, that, that that's if you could win one race that this year, that's the one you would pick. Not, not really, because it's just a test event. You know, it, It's not the... Uh... It's not about winning the test event. You just want to have the experience. You want to know the course and do the preparation. So like uh, I were in maybe one of my best like form ever going into test event in Tokyo and uh, crashed out. Uh, so it doesn't really matter your results in the end of the day uh, as long as you win next year. So this year is more about doing the build up right. So I would actually more prefer to win a PTO race because then it's also 100k on the line uh, than winning the test event. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is about getting to know the course and having a feeling of uh, what you have to do the next 12 months to be in the position to win it. 
wow, this is that's fascinating. I've stopped saying the word fascinating because I used to say it all the time, <laughs> but that is fascinating. So which PTO event is your A race, the one just before the, the um, t- test event or the one two days after it? Uh, so we, I'm definitely doing Singapore. That's two days after. So hey, you, wait, 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 wait. So we need to talk about this. So you're going to do the Olympic test event on August 18th, and then you're going to do Singapore, the PTO uh, Singapore Open on August 20th. Yeah, it's a direct flight from uh, Paris, uh, 22.50 on the evening to Singapore. So you're getting there like uh, 6 p.m. or so. So uh, uh, it's it's possible to combine both of those. So I just hope that I'm having a good night of sleep uh, on the plane and uh, coming fresh uh, off the plane to get to Singapore uh, for the Sunday race. Holy shit. That's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, but also also thinking about maybe Milwaukee. Uh, depends a little bit on the World Series uh, because I think I will have to then potentially drop a short distance race. So, but yeah, anyway, it would be like Paris test event Friday and then Singapore Open Sunday and then the seventh number three, the following week. Wow, it, like this is crazy. But let's say in a hypothetical world, because it's it's fun to be like that. If you were to win all three of those races, I think right there and then, people start calling you the greatest to ever do it because that would be an absolutely insane like feat. Yeah, it would be a great challenge. And uh, uh, but again, like everything this year is about getting ready for next year uh so uh, yeah doing the volume and the races that i enjoy and sort of keeping me motivated and getting the challenges but also doing the the work that's required for uh next year so will gustav be doing that same thing will he be doing that same schedule as you yeah so we are having the same uh schedule or travel traveling from paris to singapore and then back again to Europe and then for 70.3. Uh, and the good thing is that uh, we're coming then, sort of, we, we can focus all in on the Singap- on the Paris race and have like a proper build up to the test event. And then after that, we just try to recover as fastly and quickly as possible for the race. That's basically a day and a half or day and a half after uh, on the other side of the world. So given that, do you look at, Gustav is your main challenge or your main competition in both of those PTO races and the Ironman 70.3 World Championships? Or do you look at other people as, as your biggest competition there? I think Gustav is only doing Singapore. Uh, and every time he's turning up to half-distance race, he is a guy to watch out for. But I think we also learned that uh, Max can be quite strong in Singapore. And also it's probably going to be humid and warm. And he also performed well in Kona. Uh, Magnus seems to get be getting stronger and stronger. Uh, also, he had a quite solid run, I think, in uh, Ibiza. So uh, he will also be up there. And then let's let's focus a little bit on Yokohama this weekend. So I guess a lot of people look at you as maybe even better over the short course uh, distances than than the long course distances, which is quite crazy to say. But how do you feel coming into Yokohama this weekend? Obviously, this episode will will go out once uh, the results already happen, so we'll know whether you've won or had a shocking day. But but how are you feeling going in? I'm feeling good, like compared to the last two weeks. Like uh, I've been 
as prepared here as I was going into Ibiza, or maybe maybe a little bit better prepared here. Uh, because I've had one more week at sea level. Uh, and also, I did most of my work in Sierra Nevada on my road bike. Uh, like, I didn't jump on my TT bike before I had, like, a week left on the altitude camp. So I feel like I've been having this race more in my mind over the last month or two months. Uh, but I also feel maybe that uh, I'm missing uh, three or four weeks of, like, quite high-intensity training. Uh, because I, I didn't have the best winter. I was sick a few times going into Abu Dhabi, so I ended up having to pull out of uh, Abu Dhabi in March. So I had to use the whole Sierra Nevada camp to build up some fitness again. So I feel I'm now missing... I'm, I'm very strong like capacity-wise, but I'm missing those uh, fast track sessions and like the race pace in the pool, and I feel maybe... That's suffering a little bit now, uh, but I think uh, I hope to be fine for tomorrow. And um, but I think it's like a good, uh, good start on the season. Tell us, Christian, how hard is it to win a WTCS race compared to say the PTO European Open or the Ironman seventy point three World Championships? Uh, for me, it's easier. I've won a few, but I've never won a, a PTO race. <laughs> but uh no I, I think it's different racing like you have uh the 100k distance might suit someone but doesn't suit some other athletes and uh uh the difference between the top guys is uh like if you're 45 seconds off you might end up being seventh rather than winning the race so it's like much more uh uh, danced in in the front, and uh, you're always racing against someone around you. While in a uh, at least a seventy point three, you might have more time to just settle into your own rhythm, and it's more the strongest one who is going to win. But in uh, but in the short course, you have so many more athletes around you that's trying to benefit from your strength and and really uh, taking advantage of your strength as well. I sort of look at you and I think a lot of people look at you as the best all-round runner in triathlon across all distances. Like I think that's pretty hard to debate. But when it comes to short course racing right now, do you see yourself as the best runner in the sport? Do you think if you came off the bike with everyone there that, that you're the best runner of that, that field? Uh, not today. Uh, and uh, not uh, coming off. Uh, I'm definitely not the best. 5k pure runner or 10k pure runner like you have Hayden and Alex uh, who is clean run splits like in terms of just just a 5k uh, but if we do it off the bike especially if it's uh, outrun everyone especially over 10k I think uh, uh, Hayden and Alex might be favorable over a 5k so if you're looking ahead to the 2024 Olympics where we all know you're going to be the defending champion, looking to become only the second person in triathlon history uh, along with Alistair Brownlee to win two Olympic Games gold medals, do you look at Alex and Hayden as your main competition or is it other people? I think it's hard to say. Like uh, I felt going into Tokyo that I was like very, very convinced and uh, confident that it would be like, ah. Uh, big group coming off the bike together and that was like my strategy so I had to make sure that I could take it on the run and I didn't have to like make anything happening on the bike but I think going into 
Paris, you have like the whole French squad who would probably be keen to drill it from the swim bike and maybe creating like a 10, 15 guy breakaway on the bike. And if I can make it into that group, then it's not a run running race anymore. Then it's uh, going to be more hard swim bike and run. And then it's maybe some of the French, maybe maybe a German, like new guys coming up who can be the main uh, players. So what do you change in your training and your preparation in the lead up um, for Paris compared to say what you did in your lead up to Tokyo? I think we will have to lift up the speed in the pool uh, to be able to have that top end speed or at least uh, getting faster there so I can make sure that I'm like 10 seconds ahead compared to where I, I were in the water in Tokyo because if I'm there then I can maybe bridge up to that first pack uh, so like in Tokyo I think it was like 25 seconds off the front and if I were like another 10 seconds further up then I, then I could have bridged up on the bike and then we had a different scenario but that's also requiring that and then suddenly have to make sure that that first pack is getting away instead of just wasting energy by trying to create something while everyone is just looking at me. So if, if we can get like a race scenario where the 10, 15 around me is keen to work on the bike as well, um, out of the swim early on the bike, then uh, that can be a great scenario. I look at Alistair Brownlee and the way he started approaching his racing where he became really friendly with a couple of really strong swimmers like Richard Varga and Aaron Royal and would bring them into training camps basically with the intention to A, train with them, but B, when they got into races to to smack the front of the swim and, and put himself in positions where he had less people to try and beat and was you know potentially the best runner at, at the front of the race. Would you ever consider going down a similar path where – you get a few of the the better swimmers around you and bring them in and, and, and get them to work with you in races and also like that side benefit of them being there in training to, to make your swim a little bit faster going into Paris for that? Uh, we already train with one guy now, Kenji, you know, from the Japanese team. I know Kenji. We've been training with him in, in Sierra Nevada. Um, so he's lifting up the swim level in, in training. Uh, but... Uh, it's not like you can just have a great swimmer next to you and suddenly you're like a great swimmer yourself. You have to do the work and you have to do the right decision in training too. So it's not just to get someone there and then suddenly you are uh, 10% better. And something I've been fascinated with you, Christian, is, and I think this doesn't get talked about enough, so I'm going to make a real point of it, that you're the only triathlete in the history of our sport who is an Olympic champion an Ironman world champion, an Ironman 70.3 world champion, and a WTCS world champion. Like, I don't think that gets mentioned even nearly enough. So what I want from you today, Christian, is can you rank them one to four, one being the one that's most special to you and, and fourth least special? The least special one is uh, the seventy point three. Uh, quite quickly. Uh, um, yeah, I think the Olympic gold from Tokyo will, that's like standing out for sure. And in the beginning, I felt the World Series win was on second with the Ironman title third. But now I think maybe those two have swapped uh, simply because, uh, I don't know, like the difference between the distance and like the 
epic net of racing in Ironman, and uh, actually I've won a world title there. Like to, to combine an Olympic gold and uh, an Ironman title is more special. But also, I think because I've raced and focused on short course for like more than 10 years, uh, I feel it's harder to win the World Series than to win the world title in uh, Ironman. And the Olympic gold, that's the, the most special to you. But is it also the race that you look at as the best race you've ever done or is that something else? No, I think it's uh, for sure. Like uh, I was uh, going into Tokyo and feeling like I were in the best shape of my life. And uh, uh, when people like ask me like when I thought I had a win in my, in my pocket, then I felt like, it was like probably the day before when I finished my five by one minute stride, like we're picking up the speed and felt like, okay, no, I've made it to the start line without any stress fractures, no, no injuries, no sickness. No, it's just one more sleep. And then I, um, yeah, just in insane sort of shape. And I felt I was standing on the start line with different uh, possibilities in terms of how the race was going. And, uh, I felt quite confident that it would come together into a big group uh, uh, of the bike and I could um, sort of just yeah, sw- swim hard. I think if I was more desperate to make it into the first pack, I think I could have swam even maybe 10 seconds faster and then bridged up to the first pack. But I felt like the way to win this race is to come together off the bike and then take it on the run because I was also running super fast on training uh with super low lactate so yeah like in the build-up to on the pre-camp in tokyo in the heat i was probably beating gustav with like 10 seconds per k and still having half of his lactate when we did the brick sessions so i knew that i was in great shape and i could have done it in many different ways form swimming goggles are by far my favorite piece of training equipment i found in 2023 Well, my super shoes are still probably equal favorite with my form goggles, but I found them way before 2023. So you know what I mean? But the point is, if you train for triathlon and you don't use form goggles, you don't know what you're missing out on. I I certainly didn't before I started using them this year. So you've seriously just got to go and try them for yourself. The absolute best thing about them is the live pace feedback you get when you're swimming. So you know exactly how fast you're swimming. And it helps so much when you're doing sessions. So you don't have to guess the pace. It's just like literally there right in front of your eyes. Christian Blumenfeld uses them as well. I know he loves them and there's a reason he uses them. There's a reason we both use them. So if you're not using form goggles and you're just using standard goggles, you just won't know what I mean when I say you're missing out. But yeah, trust me and Christian, once you do start using them, you'll never go back. So go and grab yourself um, some on the form website and use the code HTT15 for 15% off. I think this takes me on to another point, which is we hear a lot of stories about you and about your physiology particularly. Like we hear things like your crazy high VO2 numbers, like 92, 93 VO2 max numbers. And then I've, I've also personally heard uh, quite a few stories about like your crazy low lactate numbers when you're running at, at high intensities, especially when compared to other world-class triathletes. Your numbers just are crazy if what I hear is true. So can you sort of talk to me about, and I know it might be a little bit hard, but I'm going to ask you it anyway, about what makes you special physiologically as an athlete? I guess it's 
Uh, I've always done like a lot of volume, so I'm very used like since I was, yeah, kid, 12, 13, 14 years old. So I've always been like high, high volume, probably coming from like swimming background where I learned to do like a lot, a lot of volume early morning practice from an early age. And uh, I remember when I start training uh, or racing as a junior and like start speaking to the at least from the other nations, I remember I was like shocked when I heard how little they were training because I was, <laughs> at that time, I was always training like the double of what they were doing. Um, but I think like physiological, I have big lungs, like 150% size of uh, what's normal and also quite big heart. So I can pump around a lot of blood and I can also deal with a very high volume. So I can... Uh, consume a lot of uh, calories uh, and uh, uh, stay on top of the energy balance. So when I'm on the training camp, I can train pretty high volume for weeks after weeks. Well, you often see athletes fade off after two or three or four weeks. And the fact that I can train so much over so many uh, months, I think is a big, big beneficial. So for example, now when I'm racing back to back, I feel it's uh, actually more recovery time than it's like tough racing because when you do travel, you lose some hours of training. Like I'm getting here, having to do like an hour easy spin, quick swim in the pool, and then like checking out the course and the run. And then uh, the volume in the week is maybe dropping down to 20 hours a week or 22 hours a week. And just the fact that I'm training so little and I can ramp it up with uh, even higher intensity, I feel that I'm actually sort of getting in shape by racing uh, back to back compared to other athletes who will maybe feel that they will um, that the racing itself is so tough that they will have to recover after races so when you say that you're a high volume trainer how many hours a week are we talking about that you would do sort of back to back to back in average across the year it's like uh, 1300 hours uh, so that's like just under 30 hours a week but then you have the race week where you may be doing 20 hours and then you have uh, the bigger training blocks where you're uh, steady around 30 to 35 hours a week but it's not just about uh, getting the high high volume in terms of hours uh, because I think I've been at this uh, volume for maybe 12 13 years already uh so what we've changed maybe the last five six years is to try to uh lift up the intensity so as much of the riding i'm doing i try to do it at a little bit higher power than what i did before before i was much more conservative in terms of uh, the training was much more polarized uh also the easy was significant easier and then the hard was sort of the same as we do now controlled effort well, now I'm doing the easy sessions a little bit harder just to get more stimulus out of them. And my brain just went to this because you talked about the session that you did before um, Tokyo, the day before where you sort of like knew that you were going to win and, and then talking about your high volume training. It sort of brought my mind to the training session that you and Gustav did together out, out at Kona before the World Championships that 
literally everyone was talking about um, where you ran sort of 40k uh, six or seven days out from the race and you know a lot of that was at uh, marathon pace or, or even higher than marathon pace in the end off the bike talk to me about that session Christian and like that's a very unique session that I don't think anyone in the history of the sports ever done over over there at Kona before yeah so uh, it's sort of the same build up we uh, we have done to I did both in Cozumel uh, the week before and in St. George in the May race and in uh, Hawaii. So like a week out, we basically do the the whole whole race or maybe 95% of it. So we did uh, the day before, I think we did uh, the swim course and like 170K on the bike. And... Uh, at, at race pace and then we're like measuring like that maybe after every 30 or 60 minutes and just uh, refilling having Olav in the car next to us and just uh, uh, yeah having these eight stations and then the next day we did uh, maybe 100k on the bike just to sort of get that fatigue back into the legs and running like 40k off and can't really remember if we did 30 minutes effort or maybe 45 minutes so we did like maybe 30 or 45 minutes uh at race pace and then we did like a measurement and then we did it again and again so uh yeah uh, 40ks in total and i remember that already then like uh i was feeling strong on the bike session the day before but when we got into that run session just uh, with the super shoes i was really struggling just to stay up stay uh in touch with him and I was maybe uh, in his feet for like 80% of that session and normally I'm leading 95% of the runs we're doing together so when, when we're on the track um, yeah 90% of the time in front and, and then I knew that okay this is going to be a challenge next week to outrun Gustav uh, on the run uh, so uh, they also like mentally when you see down look at the shoes uh, 20% thicker than uh, uh, <laughs> what's normal and he's just bouncing uh, in the front of you and looking like seeming so strong uh, then I knew that I had to be more aware of him on the run course and that's also why uh, I just was so focused when I came off the bike in the race itself like uh I just have to make sure that from the first few cases, I'm not wasting any energies. I've been pulling that guy for so many cases around the world. So I have the first priority to stay on his feet in the race. <laughs> okay, so two-part question to follow, follow up from that. Before that long run session, so before that 40-kilometer run session and then after it, so before it, did you think that you were going to win that race? And then after it, did you still think you were going to win that race? Or after it, did you think, well, Gustav's going to beat me, I think? I still believed I had like 40% chance or like from 50-50 to maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's 50% chance. Like you still believe in yourself and it's not just a running race. Like a lot can happen on the bike too. And uh, I think it was like a few moments there where I tried to, uh, take advantage of Magnus and get away from Gustav. So, for example, on the way up to Javi, Magnus was uh, really surging hard uh, sometimes, and 
uh, Gustav was who had gap to Gustav there, and I was really printing whatever I could to stay with Magnus. And yeah, we're going super hard after Javi because I thought that uh, already now, if I'm gapping him and getting into Magnus on the way back from Javi, then I I don't have to run with him. So I thought that it's still a lot of ways I can win the race, uh, even though uh, Gustav might be a faster, pure marathon runner uh, in that period. So I thought that uh, either he can have more damage in his legs uh, after the bike or he can do his nutrition wrong. So it's still a lot of stuff that, that can go wrong. And now for my first controversial question. If on that day you had have put Gustav Eden into a pair of Asics Metaspeeds like yourself, would he have still won the race? Uh, no, I, I think the way he kicked on the way back uh, uh, back from the NG Lab and also how I felt in coming off the bike. Like uh, I felt much worse coming off the bike in how I compared to how I felt in St. George. So I don't, I don't think it was <laughs> just the shoes different. Like he, he was in good shape too. And and even like, uh, I think Muck was also wearing Asics and he was bouncing much easier <laughs> uh, on his feet coming out of transition than what I did. So I think I was also coming off with, yeah, quite a fatigue from that bike. And I was maybe having more fatigue in the legs than I was expecting. I talked to your coach, um, Olav Alexander Boo, and something or, or a fun story or a funny story he, he told was that after Kona, he was quite worried that, that there might be some tension between you and Gustav. And he, he was sort of thinking to himself like, oh, how do I handle this? Because I think maybe Christian might be a bit pissed off. Um, but then you guys were getting a flight home and he saw that like Gustav sent or airdropped a picture um, of you all around the plane um, and you guys were laughing together and he, and he sort of thought to himself, okay, no, we're all good here. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it's like when your biggest competition is also your best friend? Like are you guys exclusively best friends or are there ever any moments where it's like it gets a little bit challenging to have a, a, like a friendship like that when it's with your biggest rival? Uh, I think he's overestimating that problem. Like, uh, it was never really an issue between me and Gustav after the race. Like, uh, I think we both uh, are aware that uh, both of us want to win the race. And then, if not, we hope the other one is uh, taking the win. Uh, so, so we have that mutual respect and... Uh, uh, and we also respect that it's fair that the other one is very disappointed. So, like after Tokyo, when I I won, I could all uh, yeah I could see that Gustav was sort of yeah he he was happy that I took the win, but he was also feeling that emptiness and like with his race and like he did so much work work just to came eighth, uh, and uh, yeah I was happy for him to take the win but I was also disappointed with my own own race so I think it's a, a healthy healthy balance there and we we touched on your physiology and what makes you special there and just then you talking about how you came into t2 at Kona not feeling great and I think it was quite obvious that um, to, to my eye at least when I was watching it I sort of thought like oh I reckon Christian's hurting a little bit here compared to to Gustav and, and even Max who looked a little bit fresher earlier and then to, like to take it back a, a step again, your race at Tokyo where you won and, and it was an amazing performance. But watching you 
probably in the last three kilometres of, of that run, it was like a really amazing thing that people talked about for quite a long time afterwards and was like a real talking point after the race that you looked like you were like actively trying to kill yourself. Like you were trying to die <laughs> just to win that race. And everyone was like, see, like this is what it takes to be the best in the world is to be able to hurt yourself to this level. And then I think you did that at Kona as well. Like I, I think it was really like visibly obvious just the depths you were going to mentally to, to hold on for the podium in the end in an attempt to win that race. So what makes you psychologically or mentally special and able to hurt like that? Oh, that's, I don't know. Like you just have to, the willpower that you just want to succeed. You just want to win. And, uh, uh, but I also think it's, it's like learning how to squeeze whatever you have out of your body, like to really empty the tank. And, uh, it's like, you, you can either wait for it and do it like the last 200 meters, but I don't really have that sprint finish to do it for the last 200. So it's sort of the the fact that I hate to lose and I love to win. And I also know that the feeling, if I'm not squeezing out everything of the body before the finish line and I'm coming second, then that feeling is so much more worse and painful and it lasts for for weeks rather than just doing it for five six seven minutes in the end of the race so i think it's just like learning how to turn on that switch and also understanding how short it's left because often that the, the clock is going very slowly when you are running from k8 until the last two k's uh, in an Olympic distance, but if you can sort of switch it back to imagine like you are on the track and you're doing like a 2K all-out effort in the end of the session and just bringing that uh, mentality into the race situation, I feel it's uh, easier to squeeze out everything. And the same with the corner. Like uh, I knew that if I'm not putting my shit together now, the last 40 minutes of the race to miss that podium is going to feel so much worse than yeah just putting yeah digging as deep as i could and uh, in the beginning i just tried to uh, reply to max so when he was catching on there i just thought okay if, if i can go down go 10 seconds faster per k than him then he will have uh probably some guys giving him feedback that he's losing time and that's maybe going to ease off his gas so he's more saving it into the fourth place so we also have that uh, mental game there with the guys giving uh, time splits to you just to like make sure that the guy behind you is getting uh, negative time splits so you always have to break it down as well you you, you can't just think that it's uh, 2k left or if it's 10k left you have to take like corner for corner or <laughs> aid station for aid station I won't tell you my sources, Christian, but when I knew that I was talking to you, I flicked a few messages around and, and wanted to get some inside goss. And we've just talked about, you know, your desire to win in races there. But from what I'm being told by some people close to you is that doesn't just uh, reserve itself for, for races and that in training that you're very similar if like you've got a big session or hard sessions that 
you hate losing or hate getting hate even not even not might not even be losing it might be you hate someone finishing a little closer to you than what you think they should <laughs> in training sessions can you talk to me about this uh well you always try i think that's also a thing like uh the way we are treating or some of our training session is the same we are treating a race so like the preparation can be the same and i feel i can be as nervous before a big brick session than i'm before a world series race uh so i have that same sort of prep in the morning uh eating breakfast two hours before the race or two hours before the training session going in the same amount of caffeine levels before the session uh, so everything feels like it's a race and uh yeah i enjoy the battle in the training but I, I wouldn't say I enjoy smashing people, but I enjoy the battle and having that sort of race uh, simulation and also like imagine that I'm in, in the middle of the race, even though it's just a training session. And you, you touched on the mental games you were playing with Maxi Newman at, at Kona where, okay, he's picked up his pace. Now I'll pick it up to make him feel like I'm getting away from him so that he backs off a little bit. This is something else that gets talked about by everyone but you guys is people believe that you play mental games with other athletes and and you try to put other athletes off their game, but you guys will never admit it. For, for example, a lot of people believe that you put that big run and and you knew that, that if you put that big <laughs> run leading into Kona on Strava that everyone would talk about it and be in, intimidated. And you guys have come out and be like, no, that's not true. But I believe with all of my heart that that is true will you finally admit that you guys do play those mental games no 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 i think it's uh it's more funny when we see uh, we do it one day then you see lionel did it the next day that that's more funny but uh we don't really do the training to scare people i think it's more uh embarrassing to do a big training session the week before and then fail so it's more like we're putting our Heads on the table, I would say, because uh, if we had done a 40K six days out or seven days out and failed in Hawaii, then people would sort of point on that session. So it would have been so much easier to just uh, uh, not post that session on Strava because then people are more unknown. But um, it's more because uh, we think that's the best way of uh, preparing and keeping like uh, the volume high until the very end and then you just do like a very sharp tapering, maybe like two or three days. Because I think if you taper too much, then um, I feel that my muscle fibers start to change and getting like too explosive and it's not as efficient for a long race. So uh, then I might feel good the first half of the race, but then I'm just going to get burning too much uh, carbs rather than being efficient. So it's more about finding that balance to actually keep the volume long enough into the race and then just resting like the last day last 48 hours and the same with an Ironman. Christian something that's like super obvious about you is that you love triathlon like you live and breathe triathlon and there was this story I got told um, down the grapevine of 
that Jan Fredino hung out with you once and you went and did like a little bike ride or, or something together. And he, he said to someone afterwards, he's like, holy fuck, Christian loves triathlon. Like that was his takeaway. And, <laughs> and like every time that I hear you speak, every time um, I watch videos of you, that's one of my key takeaways is like this guy just loves this sport and he lives this sport. Can you talk to me a little bit about your love for the sport and your love for training and everything about the sport and what that like what role that plays in your success? Uh, it's funny that you say that about the ride. I didn't. Uh, yeah, we just talked about triathlon. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, what I like doing. You know, it's. Uh, I like to be active. I'm <laughs> like to set myself big goals and. Uh, yeah, since I've been a kid, I, I would say I've been all in for it. And uh, yeah, it, it's, I don't know, I don't have too much uh, interest outside of the sport. Do you think that you would be as successful as you are? Like, do you think you have that, the natural physiology and, and psychology or mental game to be as successful as you are? Or do you think that because of that and uh, and that sort of complete all-in uh, approach you take to the sport that that's what actually makes you successful or do you think you could be as successful without that complete all-in um, way you go about things I think it's hard to because it, I think because I'm also going I don't feel that like I'm sacrificing other things it's more like this is just what I like to do and this is like what I prefer how I prefer to live my life and uh, uh, I also enjoy the feeling of having good training sessions and executing it well and feeling that I'm in, in great shape. So uh, it's more, I don't know, the, the life and the lifestyle of triathlon that I enjoy more than the other side of life, just doing nothing. And sort of on that, let's, let's get to it. The Norwegian method, the most like mythical talked about training method and approach to training we've ever heard. Do you think that you guys like in, in house, like you and Olav and, and, and Gustav and the crew, do you talk about it at all? Like, and do you guys think that you're doing things that other people aren't doing? And do you guys have secrets and that kind of thing? Or is it more just something that the rest of the world talks about, but you guys don't really think of as a thing? Uh, I think we are all living in this bubble where we are all as extreme as each other, maybe in different ways. So yeah, you, you could hear it on the podcast with Olaf, how into the details he is and the same like with Gustav and myself, we have sort of the same mindset. So we feel that everything we do is normalized because the people we meet, the, the, the companies we're working together with, they are as invested in, in the project as we are. So it's more when we start talking to other athletes and actually understanding what they're doing, then we feel that, okay, it's, uh, we are, it is quite different and sort of a lot of, maybe not secrets, but like we are, uh, yeah, working in a different way. And I think you really have to be on the inside to really understand how, uh, how different it is. Can you tell me, Christian, you said that like this is just the lifestyle you'd love to live so you don't feel like you're sacrificing anything. But do you think that there is any downside or do you ever feel like there's any downside to living the lifestyle you live? Um, not at the moment. Like uh, I'm looking at it as like if you're going to an Italian restaurant, it's not like you're sacrificing the pizza if you're choosing a pasta. 
it's just like uh, <laughs> I'm going for the pasta or for the pizza, you know. Uh, uh, and and it comes benefits with it. Like uh, we get to travel all around the world, do races, uh, great events, uh, work with great uh, companies, and uh, yeah, meeting uh, other like-minded people and. Uh, uh, I guess it's not going to be forever, but hopefully it will uh, be as fun as it is now for the next 10 years. And then, uh, yeah, we will see where the future goes after that. You just brought up Olav then, and I talked about him a little bit before, but um, you were coached by um, Arold Titan before that and then made the switch to be coached by Olav Alexander Boo full-time. Can you talk to me about that decision and, and why you're now being coached by Olav full-time as, as opposed to Arold? Yeah, so we were a part of the, yeah, working with Aril since 2010, uh, part of the national team. And uh, he was first a private coach. And then uh, we had this project going into Rio and Tokyo. And in 2016, before Rio, Olaf came on board, did some testing and was more and more involved into the project and had more and more responsibilities going into Tokyo too. And uh, then when I wanted to have this long distance year and uh, focusing on the Sub-7 project, uh, going for Kona, then uh, I felt I needed someone who could uh, take or be more invested into just me and also taking like following me up more closely. And Ula was willing to take this role and uh, uh, being more like one-to-one coach or yeah, investing more time. So now, for example, Olav is only coaching me, Gustav, and uh, like two, three other athletes. So it's, uh, yeah, we, we expect more time, I guess. And uh, Olav is able to bring it up to one more level. And will you guys work together like you, Gustav, and Olav, do you foresee a situation where you guys just work together until you all retire? Or is there like this little project that you started work, working on um, where you guys separated and became your own little thing? Is there like an agreed upon time where maybe one of you might step aside, like Olav steps aside and, and goes and does something else? Uh, there's no timeline on it. But uh, I feel Olav is motivated to work with uh, both me and Gustav uh, for us uh, long as we want and i think what uh, ulav is enjoying uh, with me and gustav is that uh, uh yeah the fact that uh, he maybe i found someone who is uh, as like-minded as he is like as extreme as willing to go all in uh i guess it's hard to find someone who is willing to go that all in as me and gustav and the fact that ulav has yeah yeah i think he's enjoying working with us and seeing how far he can take it but uh, yeah, I think uh, at least into Paris. And then I think he will maybe pull out of triathlon, but still work with me and Gustav after Paris. But I'm, I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah. So I won't, have you had that conversation with him where it's like, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to stay full-time in triathlon until the, the 2024 Olympics in Paris. And then I might go move on to something else, but I'll still coach you and Gustav. Do you know what, what he wants to move on and do? Oh, he's, he has like 10 different lives behind him. So uh, it can be everything. Like he's been uh, an extreme sport athlete, like skydiving, I don't know, like uh, 
uh, scuba diving like yeah he's doing he's done everything and uh yeah whatever i know he might go to the moon so he has so many <laughs> projects that uh, uh that he has in his mind and uh like it's not like he's been into sport for a very long time he came in in a very late age maybe 10 years ago and he's really been uh, going through everything that he can within sport and i guess when we go when we are getting to paris and if we win paris he's not that kind of guy who will be motivated to go for another olympic games he will then maybe try to have another challenge in his life he he does seem a bit like a um mad scientist a little bit old love doesn't he like he you, you wouldn't be surprised if you saw him like working with elon musk to try and like get to space he is that kind of guy isn't he <laughs> Yeah, so he, so I guess that's also why he feel like he, when we get to Paris, he's maybe done with triathlon. Maybe maybe he will stay until Nice in 2025. Uh, but just to repeat what he has done before, it doesn't really motivate him. He wants to like have that challenge, and I think also that's uh, what has been motivating him. Uh, since Tokyo, the fact that we have gone to long distance and now back again to short distance, that makes the challenge for him as a coach even more difficult. Some more general triathlon questions for you, Christian, because like like I said, you love triathlon and you're one of the better triathlon minds in the world. So it'd be silly of me to not take advantage of having you here to, to chat my favorite thing, which is triathlon. Who do you think will win the Ironman World Championships now that we know 100% you and Gustav won't be there? Not sure. Before Ibiza, I would have said maybe Alistair, but after seeing his pacing in Ibiza, maybe I will write him off and maybe some of the French guys who is uh, living in the course and uh, uh, knows yeah, how, how, how to pace in uh, a hilly course like that, like Leon or yeah, maybe Sam Laidlow. Yeah, Sam, speaking of Sam Laidlow, did you, how surprised were you? Because again, Olav said on the podcast he did with me that you guys brought up um, uh, Sam Laidlow's name and, and said like, oh, well, he can have 10 minutes on us off the bike. We'll, we'll catch him before halfway. How surprised were you by his performance? And yeah, do you think he can go on and repeat that again this year? Yeah, it seems like he, well, of course I was uh first i was surprised how quickly he got the gap like suddenly like six minutes off the bike we didn't really have control on that and also i was expecting him to pay it off on the run as everyone else was expecting uh but uh, again he backed it up quite well in gran canaria so i thought that he would have if he didn't win in gran canaria he would maybe feel more the pressure of signing big sponsors and then underperforming but now as he got that sort of good start on the season it maybe taking off a little bit of the pressure going into Nice and uh, yeah he will probably be able to back it up uh, what was the other question no that was it just whether you think he can whether you think he can win win uh, Nice and, and if you were surprised with, with his performance at Kona but you, you've answered both of them and so sort of the same similar question but now this encompasses everyone in the world of triathlon Again, I'll, I'll eliminate Gustav from the conversation because you're a little bit biased there. Outside of yourself and Gustav, who do you look at as right now today the best triathlete on the planet? Ooh, um, long course or short course or 
both. You can pick it, it. You can't. It's not. You can't separate the categories. Just who do you think is the best? Taylor Nib. You're right, a girl. I like that. I'm a big Taylor Nib fan. Yeah, like what she did in St George last year and dominating that course, and also potentially how she could have been further up in Dallas. So if she can stay injury free, I think she can have a massive potential. Uh, she's still young. I think that Taylor Nib. I, I I made this call on, on a podcast earlier in the week. I think that Taylor Nib's talent is wasted in triathlon. That's how good she is as a cyclist. I think she could be the best female cyclist on the planet if she if she made the switch across. Yeah, probably. Like, uh, but also she's a. Well, yeah, depends depends what she enjoys doing. Like, she also great on the swim as well. Like, uh, she can have it easy or well, not easy, but like. She can have great success in triathlon for sure, but then I'm not sure. How, I'm not sure how good she is technically on the bike compared to the best girls, uh, just like pure cyclists. Yeah, it's a good point. Like it would probably take her a couple of years, but um, her like her power and her power to weight are, are seriously like world class. Um, speaking of Taylor Nib. Um, if she had have been there at the PTO European Open on the weekend, we obviously saw one of the craziest performances we've seen in female triathlon from Arne Haag. But do you think that Taylor would have beaten her that day? I haven't seen the splits yet. Uh, so how much did uh, Anna win with? Arne Haag was 2 minutes 30 ahead of Ash Gentle in second and she was 2.55 ahead of Lucy Charles. And Arne Haag ran 102 uh, and then the next quickest run was um, Tamara Jewett with 104.22. Okay, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if she would have won. Like I think she either won or second place. And then similar question, but not who's the greatest triathlete right now. You're in the conversation already. Like I personally have you at number. I think I have you at number two, but maybe number three behind Jan and Alistair as the greatest triathlete to ever live. And that's crazy because your career still probably has six, seven, eight mm-hmm. years left. Um, and I just made a YouTube video where I said that. I think you're clearly the heir apparent to, to being the, the GOAT and people love talking about the GOAT. But who do you, uh, as someone in that conversation, view as the greatest of all time? Well, I think you have the best of your generation more than like you, you can't really compare the different uh, uh, generation, I guess. Like, of course, the number-wise, the new generation should be stronger than the guys who raced 15 years ago, simply because the science is better, the nutrition is better, uh, and the level increases uh, in the sport as well. So uh, I think it's more like if you're defining your generation or not. And Jan has been like setting the standard in long course since he retired after uh, London in short course. And also Alistair has been defining the sport in short course from 2009 and until 2016. So they have like the different eras where they are really on top of it. Do you think, because I, I talked to Leo Bergier, who was the, the WTCS world champion. Um, he said to me that he doesn't believe the best short course triathletes today. So himself, you, Alex Yee, Hayden Wild, etc. He thinks that if you took all of them and put them back in that 2012 London race, that Alistair still would have won that race um, at the 2012 London Olympics. Do you think that as well? Or do you think, like you said, that the new generation are better than that? 
uh, I, I think like in all sports that like level is increasing and uh, yeah, I guess if they were using more, collecting more data themselves, you could have seen maybe or asked Johnny who actually raced both London, Rio and uh, Tokyo to see how his numbers were compared to how his fitness were going into the different races. Uh, so it's, uh, I don't know, if it's, it's hard to tell, but I guess the dynamic in the race was different. Like I think back 10, 15 years ago, Ali Javier and Johnny was like the three strongest guys on the bike in the field. And when they came off the bike together, I'm not came out of the swim together, then the race was sort of made. Well, now you have uh, a lot of guys behind who is willing to drill the pace on the bike, who makes it more difficult for the guys up front to get away. So, um, yeah, I'm not that sure that the podium would have been the same in London if we did that race today. And in a similar vein, if Jan Fredino had have been there at Kona last year with yourself and Gustav, now obviously this is a complete hypothetical, but do you think he would have been able to compete with you guys? Ooh, like, uh, again, like I think condition-wise, it was uh, very similar to how it was in 2019. Uh, but then if he did stay with the guys up front, he could either have, he could have blown up or... He could have stayed up with the guys up front. So it's if I should guess, he wouldn't been able to find another seven minutes or so on the run. I guess I guess that's the one that's the most difficult to improve. What's your favorite training session of all time? I don't know. Like uh I, I do enjoy the feeling really pushing hard like uh on the track. Uh, either as a part of a brick session we're doing maybe uh, five to ten minutes of uh, uh, race pace or above race pace numbers now I'm, now I'm talking about short course and then you're going off to maybe doing one or two or 3k reps on the track uh, again above race pace and maybe finishing off the last round all out we're really getting into that same uh mental zone as i am in a race so uh it can be maybe 40 to 50 minutes of intervals on the bike and uh, 10 to 12k of intervals on the run and then when i'm finishing off that whole session with the last 2k all out and uh, uh trying to do everything i can to drop gustav for example and uh, that brings me into that same mental zone that i am in a race when I'm really trying to squeeze out everything I can on that final lap. Christian, do you ever have days where you don't enjoy triathlon and you don't enjoy training? Like, do you ever have darker moments where you're laying in bed before sessions or before days and you're like, oh, I just can't do this. Like, I don't want to be out there. I think 90% of the training is uh, joyful. And then, of course, you have some days where uh, it's raining and cold and you still have to get out and... uh, uh, most of the time it's more just to get through the warm-up and then you sort of start enjoying it again. Uh, but of course you have times where you're really on the limits. And uh, I do find this time is actually more when I'm really like pushing the volume and like it's really tired and lack of energy. So uh, what I've done just have to do is to have like one or two easier days and then the, the joy with the training comes back again. 
we obviously have to talk about the the most sort of topical thing in triathlon at the moment, apart from apart from racing, and that's Colin Chartier. What did you make of um, the news when you found out that that Colin Chartier had tested positive for for EPO? Well, first of all, it's like a big shock, like uh, simply because, like, yeah, we've seen seen how he's been training, like in the YouTube series with Lionel, and also the fact that he was coached by. Mikal and like uh yeah it was sort of like not a guy you would uh be suspicious towards like uh going into Tokyo for example we we heard about someone who ended up being caught uh for years like so, so the guys who was caught going into Tokyo it wasn't like that wasn't really a big surprise uh but then the fact that Colin like that was more like a big big shock and then of course you start thinking like yeah the fact that he's sort of involved with Norwegian team and like bringing you sort of into it uh but yeah it was uh yeah a big shock and also the fact that he feels like he didn't even just regret it it was more like he just reckoned it's a part of the sport and he took the chance and he was the only one who got caught that, that's an interesting point you you bring up there is that a lot of people have commented on the fact that during like his his podcast he did with me which I'm pretty sure you've listened to he he didn't sound remorseful at all um, and that he did state that he he believed to be the best in the world you had to dope because he believes the best in the world are doping and I guess um, it's a hard question to ask but I I see you as the best in the world right now so you have to assume that in his head he's meaning guys like yourself and Jan and Gustav, like that you're just the undeniable best in the sport right now. Do you, what do you think when you hear him say that being the the best in the world? Well, it's uh, strange because like, yeah, I don't know where you get it from because when I was sort of growing up, I think it's, I've never really been suspicious about the athletes that I've been racing. Like when I was a junior and Alistair was drilling the the ITU scene, like winning everything. Uh, I've always believed that I could beat him uh, doing it clean and believing in his performance. And uh, I just hope that the next generation is having that same uh, belief that you can actually make it to the top by yeah, being clean. And then you talked about like whether it is an actual like whether Colin is like attached to the to the Norwegian system or not. There is a perception that he is, obviously because he's coached by by Mikael. Can you take us behind the scenes, if it's possible, about when that news came out, what the conversations with you guys being the Norwegians was, like yourself and Olav and Mikael and Gustav. What were the conversations you guys were having behind the scenes about it? Uh, me, Olaf, and Gustav, we aren't really a part of that training group anymore. So we pulled out a year and a half ago. So uh, we haven't really been a part of their conversation. So I don't really know. Like, uh, yeah, since 2021, end of 2021, we have stood on the outside of the national team and we still do. So I don't know what sort of conversation they've had and if they've spoken to Colin or not, I don't know. 
did you did you reach out to Mikal about it to like hear his thought thoughts about it like whether you know he knew or or what he was feeling no i haven't talked about with him about that and then from here do you guys like because of the way that Colin came out and said those things and and you know the fact he was coached by Mikael what what are your thoughts on like from now do you do you just go well obviously like i'm not doing it so um i'll just like ignore it move on or is there something that you guys or like you yourself thought like okay i have to get out and address this uh i feel it's not much to do really like we know that what we are doing and like all the numbers we're collecting is something we will post by the end of the career so if people are suspicious they will probably they can wait and see what we are publishing in the future but until now like we are just uh, trying to keep the noise outside and focusing uh, on their training and on the training that we are having in front so uh, yeah trying to uh, stay focused really and keeping doing what we have been doing obviously like it's a bit of a tough time in the in the sport at the moment that we have to have this conversation because you, you know yourself and i we're just like absolute triathlon nuffies like we live and breathe the sport a little differently you go out and, and kill yourself every day to do it i just sit back and and watch you do that and, and then talk about it but yeah it's like i would love to get you on and just talk about what we did for the first hour and 10 minutes and not have to have that conversation of, of five minutes at the end but yeah, it is a little bit of a weird time in triathlon in the past couple of weeks isn't it yeah, but I guess it's good to see that the system is sort of working uh, uh, and that actually people are getting caught uh, when they are cheating. So uh, it's also something positive that comes with it, that the fact people are being caught. And uh, the same, like, yeah, happened before Tokyo. Like, you probably had athletes there uh, being in the sport for like a decade without being caught before they uh got tested like around 2021 so uh it, it's good to see that uh, the anti-doping work does work uh and uh yeah it's important to take it up and uh yeah keep the topic or bring up the topic when uh cases like this comes i've been waiting to ask you this question for ages and i would have kicked myself if i had forgotten to ask <laughs> you so i was talking to sam laidlow and he did it on the podcast but he'd, he'd also told me about it off the podcast but then he told the story on the podcast um in the first episode he did with me or the second episode he did with me after kona i can't remember one of the episodes he did where he told me a story that you told him about how much caffeine you you take <laughs> and, and then he's like oh okay okay and he's taken it all down and he's like okay i'm gonna try that and so then he went and tried it and during <laughs> during the race and like before the race he um he couldn't stop going to the toilet. Like he just kept shitting and he, he had like real bad diarrhea for ages because he took so much caffeine in and he goes, and he sort of like thought about it on air and he goes, I actually don't know whether he was just playing with me and he doesn't actually do that. And no, he was like no, trying I didn't, to... I didn't. I didn't. The thing is that we, we raised the Collins Cup and then we had this uh, like European lounge, uh, like where we could have some snacks, some coffee, like after breakfast, like in the morning. And I was sitting there chilling out with Gustav and uh, probably some others. And um, yeah, like drinking coffees. And I think he was like just looking at me, like seeing how much coffee I was drinking. And he was like asking, like, oh, so you like how much caffeine do you take? And 
do you go like decaffeinated before race to get that maximum uh, uh, boost when you get to the race? And I told him, no, no, I just go from high to higher. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I had I had some coffees there, and I also took some um, yeah, Red Bull and gels before the start. But then what he's doing then that I guess he didn't tell you really is that he's so I'm telling you, oh, you should you should try to go higher on caffeine. But that what he's doing is he's going to that espresso machine with his uh, bottle and putting in like, I don't know, eight espressos into a bottle. <laughs> and, I, and I don't really understand what he's doing with it. But apparently he was drinking <laughs> these espresso shots cold like four hours later, right before he did his race. So <laughs> I, I didn't tell him to take eight espressos just before the start, because that's obviously going to mess up your stomach. Like I, I do it like in the morning to, to kickstart the stomach. So it's like everything is out before the race, but he did it just before the start, I think. And <laughs> oh, It's one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Just <laughs> And, and I think I think from memory off air he was being a little like cautious on air and he told the story but then off air he was like oh mate I couldn't stop shitting I just would not stop <laughs> so funny I, I, I saw him on the course and I uh, obviously saw that he had lost some points but I wanted I wanted to scream scream to him come on come on every point counts every point counts but then I also saw that he wasn't in the mood to really take any comments like that so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh it's one of the funny it's it actually was probably the funniest story i heard in in the triathlon world last year and like i've always like held on to the the hope that you were just like messing with him that would have been even funnier but yeah great story um, no no you know he he was on my team you know team europe so yeah. i i just wanted him to really come out of the battle there and take some points for yeah team europe but unfortunately he gave away full score to both <laughs> Sam, Sam and Laidlow, so he actually let us down. But, uh, yeah, we will have a team discussion whether we can have him on the team next year or not. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right. Now, that's a great note to wrap it up on. Um, Christian, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, like I said, every – like my, my messages, they're just like, when's Christian coming on? Get Christian co- to come on. I'm like, fucking hell. If only it was that easy. So, mate, can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, I love chatting to you then because – you're a, yeah, like I said, you're a tri- triathlon nuffy. You love it just just the same way I do it, and it's it's really special to talk to someone like that. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you, mate, for coming on. Yeah, it's been a great chat. So thanks for now. I've been using Precision Fuel and Hydration basically all year now. I was just so sick of not having my nutrition nailed. I'd get this sporadic upset stomach like all the time. There were long rides where I'd finish and my gut would just be no good. Long rides that were the same, if not even worse, to be honest. And my whole time racing, one of my main worries leading up to the race and in the morning of of the race was just like, how's my gut going to be today? And that's why I made the decision to finally nail it in 2023. And so I tried basically every brand I could find. And after testing everything for a few months, Precision was by far the best brand I tried. Like by far. I never have an upset stomach. I find their products subtle and easy to get down. Um, so yeah, I reached out to them and said, Hey, like, I love your product. I've been using it for a few months now. It's the only, it's the only brand I want to use. Will you support the podcast? And like, luckily they said yes, because if not, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be really, like, I'm just so happy that I get to bring, bring like the news to everyone and, and provide a discount code so that you can try it for yourself. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that. 
My favourite products from from them are the PF90 gel or the PF60 drink mix, which I've been experimenting with lately and really love. Um, both of those I use on the bike. And then the PF30 gel for long runs or run sessions and the PH1500 electrolyte tablet. I just use all the time. I use it in the mornings or the night before long training days. Same like with, with the night before and, and the morning of like um, really hot training days where I've got a bit of training on. And I always have it on, on like the swim deck for my swim sessions. Um, if you care about your training and, and you want to dial in your nutrition t- too, just trust me. Go and try Precision Fuel and Hydration and you'll be like me and you, you just won't go back. You won't use anything else. Use the code HTT23 for 15% off your order at checkout.